You're listening to the J.D. Rucker Show. Let's begin. So I'm going to go ahead and disappoint everybody right off the bat. I am not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about the the drop of the Epstein list last night. It, it's Look, I'll call it what it is. I think it's a distraction. I think that there's going to be a whole lot of hoopla, a whole lot of people talking about it, making fun of, of Bill Clinton, making fun of Prince Andrew, making fun of Stephen Hawking and and uh, anybody else. They'll be wondering why Bill Gates wasn't mentioned on there. They'll be throwing out all these theories and talking about how it's going to get more and how everything's going to be happening soon. And I'm not going to play along. Okay, I I was obligated as as because it was news. I went ahead and, and posted a very quick story, let pretty much everybody else tell the details, posted up on the LibertyDaily.com, and then I linked to an article uh, regarding Trump over at discernreport.com. I did those because that is the news. You know, they, they've been saying, oh, you know, Trump was, was totally on Epstein Island, and then the document clearly shows that he was not. <laughs> and for anybody who think, thinks that, oh, maybe, you know, he got involved in the, the thing before this, the deposition was taken prior to him being president. So let's be clear about that. This was, was 2015, and I just don't see anything coming from this, Okay. I don't. I don't think that not as I don't think a single person is going to be held accountable. I don't think that anybody's going to go to jail. This is going to be be big talk for a day or two, or maybe they'll stretch it out for five or six. What we got additional drops, and maybe there's going to be something in there that could result in something. But I just don't see it. I think that we have some some major news out there right now that's happening, and nobody's talking about it. So so today's show, if you were expecting expecting a lot of talk about the Epstein files. Well, you're not going to get that from the J.D. Rucker show. But welcome anyway. I'm glad that you're here. And uh, if if I'm disappointing you, so be it. It's It won't be the, f- the first time, I'm sure. And it's, it's almost certainly not going to be the last. Because I, I, I do it the way I want to do it. <laughs> and... Uh, uh, I'm not trying to be a jerk. I'm just saying. I'm not, I'm not saying. I'm just saying. I'm, I I think there's actually bigger news that happened yesterday, uh, and here's one of them. So, oh, and to be clear, so today's st- uh, show generally is going to be about the economy. I've got some stories picked out: economics, some food, some some housing. We we have challenges in the economy that are obviously blockbusters. Now today's show, there's going to be a little bit of a crossover because today will be the first. First show, first episode that will go on our new radio station up in, well, it's not ours, I didn't buy it, <laughs> the, the new station where, where the show is going live. We're, we're only doing one show a week, and it is a financially uh, centered show. So, and I'm stalling, if you couldn't hear it in my voice, I'm stalling because I'm trying to remember the, the letters, the call sign, or whatever it's called. I don't remember. I am, gosh, I am the worst. When it comes to to promoting my stuff, um, best place to find out where where you can hear me, at least on the on the internet, would be jdrucker.com/shows. I try to keep up with with terrestrial radio, but the problem is I don't listen to terrestrial radio. Okay, I haven't turned on a radio station in I don't know how long, you know. And I'm not even I'm not Mr. Tech guy. It's just I like to listen to what I like to listen to, just like I like to say what I want to talk about on my shows. So sorry. I, I, I don't know what, what else to say. I, I stalling some more. I can't remember. It's, I think it's W something. Maybe it's K K something. I don't know. 
just I'm gonna get fired, aren't I? I am. I'm gonna get fired. So, uh, but we're going to try to, to kill two birds with one stone. I just don't have the time to be able to to add an additional two hour show to my normal two hour show. So, so part of <laughs> a good chunk of today's show is going to be be rebroadcast on Sunday for my my inaugural show over there. So that's going to be good. And by tomorrow, I'll be able to tell you where it is. It's in Southern California. I know that. It's in the L.A. area. I know that. And then beyond that, I don't know. Other places you can find me, though, we are for sure. Uh, you're hearing me on Spreely. If you're listening at Spreely or watching at Spreely.tv, hello to the, the Spreely audience. You guys are fantastic. Um, Spreely's a, a great little service. Very happy with with what uh, Terry's been able to put together over there with a, just a tremendous lineup of, of, of uh, diverse and awesome talent. So good job there, of course. You'll be able to find all of my shows as well as soon to be more shows over at discern.tv. I don't have the announcement to make yet, but I will be making the announcement there. We're st- still working out some kinks, but that's going to be something awesome, something you may want to go ahead and just bookmark now. Go to discern.tv and you'll, um, in the very near future, you'll be able to see some awesomeness. And I'm not just talking about me. I'm talking about outside awesomeness, other awesomeness, non-Rucker awesomeness. So plus on top of all that, you'll still still have the Rucker awesomeness too. Uh, but anyway, let me get to this story um, just real quick. I'm, and I'm going to just, just go over it a bit because uh, – because there's a lot to unpack here, and it deserves almost an entire show, uh, but no, we're not doing that today. This came, it was a tweet on, when was this? This was the, uh, uh, I think earlier, well, it was it was Wednesday, if I recall, and it's, so President Trump released a summary of election fraud in the 2020 election, uh, presidential election in swing states, and there's a whole lot going on here. Like I said, you know what, I'm probably going to, what I'll do is I'll start this and get your wet your whistle, and then I'll tell you where to go read the rest, uh, and then we'll move on with the rest of the show. But I want to get this started. So it has been uh, often been repeated that there is, quote, no evidence of fraud in the 2020 election. In actuality, there is no evidence Joe Biden won. <laughs> I love that. That's, that right there. I could, I could end the show, drop the mic, and be done. There is no evidence that Joe Biden actually won. And there's a lot of evidence that says that he did not get 81 million votes, nor did he get more black votes than even Barack Obama. But hey, you know, you can believe what you want to believe. Back to this post by by President Trump. Ongoing investigations in the swing states reveal hundreds of thousands of votes were altered and or not lawfully cast in the presidential election. Joe Biden needed them. On election night, November 3rd, 2020, President Donald J. Trump was sailing to re-election with landslide leads in numerous battlegrounds. In Georgia, President Trump was up by 12 points and over 335,000 votes, with 56% of the vote in at 10.17 p.m. In Wisconsin, President Trump was leading by 121,380 votes and five points at 12.12 a.m., which Fox News anchor Brett Baer noted was not a small margin. In Pennsylvania, President Trump was leading by 659,145 votes at 12.38 a.m., a full 15 points. In Michigan, President Trump was leading by 293,052 votes and 10 points. The election was over. However, precincts in Atlanta, Detroit, Philadelphia, Phoenix, and Milwaukee kept counting until the results reached the desired outcomes. And that's probably the best way to put it. It's just keep counting until we get to the right number. Just keep counting, okay? They're like Dory 
you know, just keep swimming, except they just kept counting. It's like, okay, we, we, we got enough. Uh, shut it down, which was back to the art or back to the post from President Trump. Um, so they got the desired outcome, which was the opposite of the will of the voters. Georgia went from having a total of 4.7 million votes, already a record for the state, according to Brad Raffensperger's count on November 4th, to certifying almost 5 million votes. That was 300,000 more votes than what the top election official claimed were cast in the election. How could that be? Getting to this result in Georgia and other states created an irredeemably compromised election filled with violations of the Constitution, unlawful ballots, widespread broken chain of custody, electronic manipulation, and missing and corrupt election files that made it uncertifiable and impossible to recreate the results. President Trump was right to voice his objections to what had unfolded before the country's eyes. Republican poll watchers were denied access to the counting in multiple jurisdictions and ballots were counted in secret in the middle of the night without media or observers present. Countless irregularities emerged, including reports of ineligible voters, voting machine anomalies, water main breaks, improbable percentages of ballots for Joe Biden, and more. Since investigations across the country have uncovered an avalanche of irregularities, unlawful activity, manipulation of election records, destruction of evidence, and fraud. The findings, which are uh, outcome determinative, are detailed in the summary of the swing states. And you can check that out. I will post it. It's a very long post on here, but I will post it over at thelibertydaily.com as well as discernreport.com for you to check out. Bottom line is this. I know there's a lot of people that used to think there was voter fraud, and for whatever reason, you know, you have your reasons. If you've decided, well, they didn't prove it or it didn't, it got adjudicated wrong or got thrown out in courts or, or there wasn't any evidence or whatever, whatever gaslighting was done to you to indoctrinate you into changing your perspective, then reverse it. The, which you thought you saw before, the election was clearly and unambiguously stolen. That is still the case. It's just been enough distance to try to, to screw with your head. Don't let them. Don't let them indoctrinate you. Don't let them brainwash you, gaslight you, or anything else. There. That's my cold open. Uh, let's go to a break, and then when we get back, let's talk some financial stuff. So y'all stay tuned. One of the, I would say, least discussed uh, challenges when it comes to, to preparedness, when it comes to the future, are meds, okay? Having access to, to pharmaceuticals, to, to antibiotics, to, to medications that you require for, for your life. These are, are going to be challenging, especially if the supply chain breaks down, if pharmacies close down, if there's, <laughs> I hate to laugh, but if there's a bands of marauders going around ripping people off, you want to make sure that you have your medical situation secured. Go to jdrucker.com slash meds. That's jdrucker.com slash meds and get signed up with Jace. You'll do a telehealth. They will help you to secure the meds that you'll need that you can store store away and use for when the time comes. You know, God forbid, but if it does come, you want meds, so go to jdrucker.com slash meds. Chances are, if you are listening to the sound of my voice, you have some concerns about the economy. If you're like many, perhaps you're worried about your, your wealth, your retirement, your life's savings. For others, maybe you're worried about how you're going to pay the rent next month. Your bills, how are you going to put food on the table tonight? We all have different degrees of concern unless you're amongst the uber-rich. The I'm talking not just being wealthy. I'm saying if you are a, a billionaire, then chances are you're not too concerned about the economy because the way that everything's heading, it seems as if 
the the very very rich are going to to be fine and everybody else and as a matter of fact they're going to improve whereas everybody else even those who are doing financially well we're still going to get have some challenges now don't get me wrong i'm not suggesting that if you're sitting there struggling to to put food on the table that you should be concerned about your average everyday millionaire but just know that they are in a similar boat the economy is not designed for your average american even if it's an average american who is wealthy they have challenges just like all of us have challenges other than as i mentioned the uber rich now when we start talking about uber rich i think a lot of times people will assume oh my gosh is he talking about a you know socialism as a solution anybody who's ever heard my shows in the past are very familiar with the idea that i am a i'm a very strict capitalist i'm very much opposed to Crony capitalism, which is is not capitalism, it's, it's no more, <laughs> crony capitalism is no more uh, capitalism than, say, stakeholder capitalism, which is essentially neo-Marxism, a la the World Economic Forum. So no, I am not trying to throw out there any, any radical ideas of changing. What I'm suggesting is that our current economic status here in the United States and across the globe is one that is not conducive to proper capitalism. People can work and work their, their butts off and still struggle. People can can do everything that they're supposed to do, perhaps get an education, start a business, get a great job, work hard, and still struggle. That's not the way that these things are supposed to go. Now, we can blame the pandemic if we'd like, but in reality, it's it's it has nothing to do with that. We should have already recovered. We should have been well on our road to recovery by, by uh, early to mid-2021. We should have been full-fledged, full-blown, hey, we're recovered, we're moving on by, at the latest, the end of 2022. Now it's already 2024, and things aren't looking any better. They are looking worse. I wasn't intending to make this a political segment, but let's just go ahead and say it. It seems as if the powers that be amongst the Uniparty swamp in Washington, D.C., led currently by the Democrats in the White House, as well as in the Senate, but with help from Republicans in the House, it seems as if they are not intending to fix the economy anytime soon. So we do have challenges. All of us do. Except for the cronies. Except for those who are, who are insulated and will actually advance based upon the current situation. This disparity between those who have a ton and those who maybe have a lot is still huge. And the disparity between those who have a lot but not a ton we're getting closer and closer to those of us who have very little at all. It seems as if they're trying to essentially break us down into one of two two different types of people, those who have plenty and those who don't have really anything at all. And anybody who's kept track of what the uh, powers that be, the powers and principalities, if you will, the the minions of the the adversaries such as the world economic forum the world health organization the united nations even our own deep state and our own uniparty swamp they all seem to be pushing towards this this uh true separation between their their friends their cronies and then the rest of us so this brings up challenges, and we are going to be talking about a lot of those challenges today i wanted to start with one that has been popping up more and more lately it's something that I don't think a whole lot of people, maybe some of you out there were, were looking at this as a possibility, but I think that really until about, about March of last year, right around the time when we started seeing banks collapsing, uh, previously healthy banks collapsing for 
for no apparent reason other than they didn't make the exact right moves or they weren't in the exact right position, that's when it started really becoming a possibility in a lot of our eyes that we could have a banking collapse. The banking system is not, for the first time at least in my lifetime, is truly legitimately in dire straits. Walter Block over at uh, FEE.org uh, wrote an article. This was actually from months ago, but it does apply today. Could the entire banking system come tumbling down? That's the question. According to his article, how does one describe our present banking system? And keep in mind, this was right around the time when the Silicon Valley Bank and others were starting to collapse. How does one describe our present banking system? It is like an upside-down pyramid with the tippity-top of it located at the bottom and the widespread base of it uh, placed at the very top. If even a slight wind comes along, it will knock down the entire enterprise. The bigger they are, the harder they fall. Heck, you don't even need a breeze. This enterprise is as unstable as it conceivably can be. It's like a man wearing 10-inch heels... <laughs> which I don't want to make a comment about that uh, because there are probably men men today that pretending to be women that are wearing 10-inch heels. But, but if you can picture it, uh, I feel sorry for you. You look at him crossways and, and he'll fall down. Women have far more practice at wearing uh, such shoe wear. You need not look at him at all and he'll collapse. It is like a little kid getting on a bike for the first time with no training wheels. It is like someone's first run on stilts. It is like riding a unicycle for a trial run. It is like the first try at a tightrope walking. Are you getting my drift? The banking system is teetering and tottering. Why is this? It is due to the fact that it engages in fractional reserve bank deposit banking. For, I'm sorry, fractional reserve demand deposit banking. What's that, you might ask? Mr. Apple comes to a bank and deposits $100. The bank gives him a demand deposit for that m amount of money. What does that mean? It means that, that A has the right to withdraw up to that amount, $100, anytime he wants to, assuming that the bank is open, or write a valid check for that amount at all times, and the bank is legally obligated to honor it. What then does the bank do with the money? Assuming a 10% reserve uh, ratio, it lends out $90 to Mr. Banana, and keeps the remaining $10 in its vault. What does that mean? Exactly the same as before. Mr. Banana now also has a checking uh, deposit with the bank. He can call up those funds at his uh, at his and his own discretion, up to nine $10 bills worthy, worth of money. Do you see the problem? The bank now has assets of $100 cash under its control and liabilities of $190. They, there used to be $100 in circulation, there's now $190. If Mr. Banana deposits his money in a second bank with the same ratio that continue and continues down the line, there will ultimately be $1,000 in the economy, all pyramided on that initial $100. Talk about teeter-tottering. How can all of this come tumbling down? Simple. All Mr. Apple and Mr. Banana have to do is demand more than $10 of their money from the bank. The latter cannot make good on its obligations. Its bankruptcy will then become fully evident. And again, this is a very simplistic way of looking at it. But this is how we have to look at things, because they're not complicated. They're, they're challenging. They're difficult to understand for many, but they're not complicated, not inherently. Now, the banking system, government, bureaucracies, 
uh, economists, analysts, they tend to try to make these things more difficult to understand than they really are, perhaps to justify, justify their own existence. But in reality, it does come down to the fact that our banking system is, is predicated on the idea that whatever money they have, they actually have 10 times that much to play with. Now, if they play with it right, that can be very lucrative. If they don't play with it right at all, that can be disastrous, not just for them, but for anybody with over $250,000 in any given account, because anything above $250,000 and it's no longer insured by the FDIC. You get my drift. The challenge is this. We are, this is, again, back in April, and things have not gotten better. We've been able to stabilize more banks. I guess you could say the, uh, uh, the Fed started seeing this coming. Government started seeing this coming. FDIC started seeing this coming. And so they start to, to bolster those before they could crumble. But there are still banks that are crumbling. And all it will take is some sort of, some sort of disaster. Some, and, and the disaster doesn't have to mean like a, a huge tsunami or, or a nuclear attack or anything crazy like that. It could be a matter of a rumor. Okay. It could be just some bad news that spreads and people start to get worried and then they start to panic and they start pull, to pull money out of the banks. And then the, you start seeing videos on, on the internet of people lining up to pull money out of the bank. So people start to get more scared and they think, oh, I better go pull my money out of the bank. And then all of a sudden you have a system that's based around this, this fractional concept where they're only keeping just enough money in the bank to, to cover 10% of what they actually owe. That's dangerous, but it's also a reality, and there's nothing we can do about it. We cannot change the system, not, not in time. Maybe over years, decades, maybe if we get the right people in place, the right regulations, we start backing off on essentially rewarding risky behavior, and we start going after sound money. That's the only way to get through this, and we're not going to, I mean, to, to, to fix it. I shouldn't say get through this. That's the only way to fix the problem. Unfortunately, that's never going to happen because too many people will get rich as a result of keeping the system the way that it is. As a matter of fact, it's not just even about keeping it. It's about expanding upon it, creating more loopholes, creating more opportunities, and perhaps more importantly, covering up those instances where the system itself broke. We saw that in 2008 and 2009. Did they learn their lesson? Did they stop doing all the things that led to that? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. They just changed the names. They rearranged some people. They said, we're going to take control of this and we're never going to let it happen again. Unfortunately, it can happen again. It could happen at any moment. I'm not trying to be a, a fear monger and say that it's on the verge of happening or anything like that. We already have plenty of other financial problems to deal with. But I just want it known that the problem was never truly solved. It was masked. It was covered up. That's it. So here we are. Now, we're in 2024, and what can we do? I'm going to be talking throughout today's show about things that people can do, and it doesn't matter what position you're in, unless you're amongst the uber-rich, and I talked about before, those who have billions of dollars sitting around, unless you're, you're in that class, then you're going to want to do something. For many of us, it really will be a matter of tightening our belt and just trying to figure out how do we entertain ourselves without Netflix, how do we... How do we get uh, creative with ramen noodles? How do we find a less expensive place to live? For others, it will be a matter of protecting your wealth, diversifying, taking funds that, that used to be easy and safe, you know, good, good, get your good old um, uh, financial advisor to just, just do their thing and you just sit back and, and, uh, and live, off, live off the profits of those days. May or may not be behind us. I do know this for sure. 
if they're not behind us, we're not going to know until it's too late. If they are behind us, then we're definitely not going to know until it's too late. It is a best practice. And I want to be clear, I'm not an economist. I'm not a financial advisor. I have no no particular expertise in the world of economy other than that I do keep my finger to the pulse of what's happening. I do listen to people who have been studying this for a long, long time. I try to collect the information as best I can to present it to the audience. One does not have to be an expert when you are surrounded by experts. And I do have a tendency to surround myself with people that are much smarter than me on particular topics. For those who aren't aware, I am the editor over at thelibertydaily.com. I'm also the editor over at discernreport.com. In both cases, these are aggregators that force me to read, even if I don't want to. I have to read hundreds, sometimes thousands, sometimes more headlines than you could possibly imagine every single day. And as a result, I have to read articles just as this one that's all the way from, from back in April that still has application to today. So I'm not going to try to tell you these things as an expert in the economy. I'm going to tell you these things reading actual other experts in the economy. And let's try to find some solutions from a layman's perspective. Let's try to find some solutions from the perspective of somebody who cares deeply, not just about the my own finances or the finances of my family, but who has an understanding that if we as a nation are going to continue to, to thrive, or perhaps some would say to thrive again someday because we're not thriving, then we're going to need as many people as possible to be making good financial decisions. I'm not a fan of the, the concept of, oh, we're all in this together. It's been weaponized to, to push too many bad ideas. But in this case, we really are in this together. We as a group, we as patriots, we as Americans need to do what we can to improve the economy here in the United States of America. If we can work together to improve our own financial status, that will help to improve the economy. And that's the, the point I'm trying to make with today's show. Let's go to a quick break. And um, when I return, we'll start talking about some of the other challenges. Banking was the easy one to start with because it's probably the least likely scenario right now for a collapse. There are worse scenarios, and we'll be talking about those uh, right after the break. Look, I know everybody and their dog has a MyPillow promo code. I need to throw it out there. I have been with Mike Lindell and MyPillow from the very beginning, and I know that, again, they've they've got great saturation. I appreciate them because you know, when they got canceled by, by Fox News, got canceled by Bed Bath & Beyond, look what happened to them. <laughs> they got canceled by all these retailers and advertisers. They needed this army. So I'm, you know, no hard feelings there. I still greatly support this patriotic America First company and, of course, their, their founder, uh, Mike Lindell. Use promo code JDR at checkout. You'll get the same discount. Doesn't matter whose promo code you use, right? If you like me, if you like this show, if you like MyPillow, if you want to support your neck or get whatever, use promo code JDR at MyPillow.com and get the maximum possible discount just like you would get with every other promo code. So <laughs> there's that. Welcome back to the J.D. Rucker Show. Let's let's cut to the chase here. Let's just go straight for the jugular. Let's talk about the idea of a cataclysmic financial crisis. Now, do I think that one is coming? I would say at this stage in American history, we will see 
a the, the chances of us seeing a cataclysmic financial crisis within the next two to three years is about maybe 10 percent and again as i've noted many times i'm not an economist this is based around listening to to very smart people watching and reading very articles by these very smart people and seeing the the writing on the wall now i also do take into account the the what seems to be a very good possibility that we are living in the biblical end times so for for those who have read the book of revelation books books of daniel all the various books of prophecy within the bible uh, we are starting to see some of the the more telling signs of this being the end times now i'm not one who picks dates i'm not going to sit here and tell you hey this is it this is the big one i don't try to match up exact you know uh, verses with with circumstances because throughout in the entirety of human history at least for the last 2000 years people have attempted to do that and in many in well pretty much every case they've been essentially wrong the first time i ever heard that this was it that the uh the end was coming was, I believe it was 1988, and if anybody recognizes that year, you're probably familiar with the the uh, the the book that I'm referencing, but that I'm not actually going to reference because, again, it was incorrect. With that said, what we're seeing happen geopolitically does seem to align. Moreover, the idea of being able to control what people uh, can buy or sell and whether or not they are able to buy or sell seems to be, uh, for the first time, at least in in in, in the world today, the concept of a central bank digital currency rearing its ugly head and becoming extraordinarily controllable by the powers that be, that seems to be, at the very least, a distinct possibility. So, I'm not going to say we're in the end times, but there seems to be a good chance that we are. Right now, I'm going to put it at, we'll call it 15% for a nice, unround number, but that's... Uh, that's still a, a very big concern because, again, I'm not saying that the economy is going to get bad or the economy is going to get better or that we're going to have this kind of, of challenge or that kind of challenge. We're talking specifically about a cataclysmic financial crisis. And one way that that may come about is due to skyrocketing global debt. I think we're all familiar with the debt of the United States of America itself. Recently, we just passed $34 trillion. I wish that that number didn't roll off my tongue so easily. I should be caught up every time I start to say that. It is, the, the national debt is 34, 34 trillion dollars. That's what sh that's the reaction that it should be right now. I mean, there were those of us who still are old enough to remember when even the concept of trillion was was never spoken about in regards to money. And here we are today. It's like 34 trillion. Oh crap, that's kind of bad. <laughs> We're approaching $1 trillion in interest alone. My gosh, how did we get to this point? How did we get to this point? But let's look at to see. Here's an article. This is uh, from last month, but still, again, pertinent today. You'll know I, I do collect articles. And sometimes some of the articles that I'll talk about might not be from today. I'm a big fan of, of articles based upon their quality and their, their application to today's world, tomorrow's world. And it doesn't matter if it was written today or last week or last month. Obviously, if we're talking about newsworthy topics, we want the, the most pressing, the, the, the newest information. But the economy is not something that works based upon just what happened this morning or yesterday afternoon. The economy is something that rolls based upon an accumulation of factors. In this case, this particular article by Cassie B. over Natural News remains relevant today. 
So according to the article, and it's titled, Skyrocketing Global Debt, Setting the Stage for a Cataclysmic Financial Crisis. We're talking about a scenario here. I avoid, whenever possible, fear-mongering, but there's always a thin line between ringing the alarm bells that are righteous and appropriate and fear-mongering. I am, as if you couldn't tell, I am a Bible-believing Christian, so I do have a certain tolerance that perhaps others do not, a tolerance for for horrible, horrible news. Knowing that, after reading the Bible, knowing reading the end, knowing how, how things go, I'm, I can take challenges that are happening in this world, take them in stride. Perhaps if, if you're not a Bible-believing Christian, maybe you look at that as a deficiency. Perhaps you see it as a strength. It gives me the ability, even if you believe it's delusional, but the ability to read about potential bad things or even real world bad things and and be as uh, and still smile my way through them, so to speak. If you're listening on the radio right now, you don't see me smiling, but I do at least have a little bit of a grin on my face. So according to this article by Cassie B. over at naturalnews.com, the world has racked up record levels of debt and concerns are growing about the global economy's ability to continue in the face of high interest rates. Easy money policies in recent years that provided incentives for borrowing money in hopes of stimulating the economy led to the record levels of borrowing. While this may have been a positive development when interest rates were very low, central banks have increased interest rates dramatically since they uh, since then to deal with price inflation, and now the world is feeling the effects. Projections from the International Monetary Fund indicate that global government debt will reach $97.1 trillion, which is a rise of 40% since 2019. 40% increase in global debt since 2019, since just before the pandemic hit. It's insanity, folks. And if you were to see the visual, and many of you already have seen the visual of the, the debt curve you see over the years, over the decades, it's kind of kind of steady, and then all of a sudden, there's just this spike right around the time of COVID. Now, we can say, oh, you know, we can blame COVID, but that's not true. You know, I, I am I am a man who has supported and, and continues to support Donald J. Trump for president, but I will admit that his handling of, based upon the recommendations of some, I would say, uh, ill-motivated people, his handling of the pandemic was not what it should have been. Some of you, especially if you are a very strong Trump fan, you will say, oh, he did the best he could. I disagree. With that said, I'm not saying that I could have done better or anybody could have done better. I think that they could have, probably, but I can't say that for sure. Either way, it is what it is. And unfortunately, uh, or perhaps fortunately, even none of the other people who are trying to to replace him could have demonstrated any ability to do better, especially as it pertains to the economy. His economic policies were strong prior to, to COVID, and that's what we need. We need that type of strength again in 2025. So we need him to win in 2024 this year. But let's get back to, to the article. Moreover, they project that public debt worldwide will surpass 100% of the global GDP by 2028. This level of, of global debt to GDP has not been seen since the height of lockdowns during the COVID-19 pandemic. When broken down by country, the U.S. accounts for a disappointingly high 34.21% of total overall global government debt. China makes up 15.13% of global debt, with a large share of its debt being issued by local governments to secure infrastructure projects. 
Japan is not far behind at 11.12%. The country's debt-to-GDP ratio grew in recent years to hit 255%. Countries like India, Italy, the UK, France, and Germany are all in the 3 to 4% range. Unfortunately, the situation is unlikely to improve if governments do not get a grip on their spending. And anyone who knows anything about government knows that there is almost no chance of any sort of significant government spending reduction taking place. Raising taxes is another option, but it will come with its own set of problems. With interest rates uh, persisting at the current high levels, the spiral, uh, the debt spiral is only going to grow. Consider the example of the U.S. on September 15th. National debt surpasses $33 trillion. It was just September 15th that it surpassed $33 trillion, and we just passed $34 trillion. Crazy. It's insane. In the span of just 20 days, it reached $33.5 trillion and is now at $34 trillion. The economy has set some unwelcome new records, with net interest rising by 39% to reach $659 billion, and interest expenses climbing by 23% to hit $879 billion during fiscal year 2023. I don't want to bore you all with numbers, but it is important that we understand the scope and the scale of our economic challenge. The whole reason that we can and, and likely will experience major turmoil this year and into next year is because of the debt and it is because of the debt that i believe that we have at least as i've mentioned a 15 percent chance of this turning into a cataclysmic financial explosion essentially we're in trouble as a nation we're in trouble as a planet as the u.s goes generally speaking so too with the rest of the world but with with the rise of bricks it seems as if more and more countries, and it doesn't seem it is, the, the reality is this, more and more countries are trying to de-dollarize. They're trying to abandon the United States dollar. They don't want the, the dollar to determine everything. It used to be a safe play up until very recently. Now, all of a sudden, they're looking for other options. They don't want the dollar to be the world reserve currency. They don't want to, to purchase only with the petrodollar. They want options. And the BRICS nations, led by China and Russia, are giving giving options to to other nations. We're seeing a, a rise, of course, with January 1st. We already saw, what, five new countries joining BRICS? It's not heading in a good direction. And this is one of the reasons that I'm doing this show. It's not one of the reasons. This is the reason I'm doing this show. My, my concern is for the American people. Okay, If other nations fall, if other nations crumble, then they have to pick themselves back up. I'm a firm believer in sovereignty. I'm also a firm believer in self-reliance. With that said, if and when we crumble, if we fall, then it will be us who has to pick ourselves back up. This is one of the reasons that, that I picked Genesis Gold Group as my, my sponsor, my primary sponsor here for this show. There was a time, folks, not too long ago when I would get, get hit up by literally every single gold company out there. They all wanted me to promote their gold, all of them. I mean, I would get dozens of calls every single month, dozens of emails every single month from various gold companies that wanted me to tell people to buy gold and buy silver and buy it from this company, buy from that company. Okay. Up until 2021, I had no intention of ever getting involved. I didn't believe in gold. I, I, that sounds crazy, but I did not believe in the idea of gold and silver being where you should put your wealth. The thing that changed my mind was seeing those initial policies put forth by the Biden-Harris regime. And that's when I realized no. Oh my gosh. Sun reversed course 
you can't can't rely on 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 just the the stock market you can't rely you know there's no reliance uh, permanently in in crypto or real estate or oh my gosh where are people going to put their money where's the safe haven and that's when i did my research and decided that it would be gold and silver but i did more than just research the ideas and the concepts of physical gold and silver i also looked into the companies that's where it was a wake-up call i reviewed 31 separate companies of those 31 i found four that were that that could pass the smell test only four out of 31 and that smell test means that they basically they aren't uh, donating or, or contributing to leftist causes and that's from a financial perspective. I don't want companies, even a gold company, that's pushing ESG, for example. Gold companies that are embracing the, the woke policies. So that was rule number one. Rule number two, they could not be working with proxies of the Chinese Communist Party. There's already, in, in any, any foreign uh, entity for that matter, but in particular, the Chinese Communist Party has had their, their fingers in gold and silver depositories across the nation. Okay. There aren't a whole lot of them, and anybody's working with those that are proxies of the CCP, I would not work with them, period. And then the last component was the idea of globalism. Central bank digital currencies are dangerous, and we'll be talking about them more here, here soon. They are, in many ways, they could be the beginning of the end for the world, depending upon where we are in Bible prophecy, of course. But with that said, we still fight it. Whether we are, you know, people say, oh, if it's Bible prophecy, it's going to happen. Well, like I said, I don't know if we're in Bible prophecy. I don't know if this is the end times. I know that we fight the good fight and we, you know, the rest of it is above our pay grade. But we don't stop fighting the good fight just because we think there's a chance that this, we might not be able to change it. That's not the way that we're supposed to operate. So we fight the good fight. Anyway, those gold companies that are out there, many of them out there, not only uh, okay with central bank digital currencies, but promoting them, pushing them. CBDCs will be great for gold and silver. They know that. I know that. You should know that. So <laughs> that's why they're, <laughs> oh, if it hurts the entire world and the nation, that's fine as long as we make extra money. No, I'm not going to, to get involved with that. That's why I went with a Christian gold company, Genesis Gold Group. Of the four that were remaining, they were the top, the top choice based upon a, a, other criteria that I looked into. Check them out. You can go to Genesis. I'm sorry, to, I already forgot their URL. Goldwithgenesis.com. I've only had it for a year and a half. Goldwithgenesis.com. And check them out, or you can give them a call at 800-200-GOLD. That's 800-200-4653. Let's go to a quick break. And when we get back, I'll, I'll find a good story. It may not be central bank digital currency, but something like that. So stay tuned. There is a brewing food crisis here in the United States of America, and it's very important for people to take responsibility for their own food security, their own future. And when it comes to you know buying buckets of food, that's great. Look, I, I get it. I do it myself. I get you know, stroganoff or lasagna or spaghetti or you know uh, buckets of beans and rice. But when it comes to protein, there is only one company that you should work with, and that is PrepperBeef.com. Go to PrepperBeef.com. Use promo code JDR. And you'll get 15% off. This is high-quality, premium ribeye, New York strip, tenderloin, sirloin. This is the good stuff. It's all U.S. US cows, Texas cows, as a matter of fact. Uh, no mRNA jabs, nothing like that. This is high-quality beef that will give you food security for up to 25 years. So go to PrepperBeef.com and use promo code JDR at checkout. So far, I've talked about situations in which people need to protect their wealth, their retirement, or their life savings. 
But as I mentioned, not everybody's in that position to where we're worried about our 401k. Many of us are more worried about, again, what we're going to eat tomorrow, what we're going to eat next week. Never in at least modern history in the United States has there been such a, a stark food crisis. And yet we're not hearing about it from fake news media. They're not covering it. Now, some would say that there's just so much to cover that a mild and brewing food crisis isn't among them. But in reality, this is one of those crises that if and when it does come to pass to where we have a full-blown crisis that's affecting the masses, it's going to be too late at that point. This would have to be corrected soon, and it would have to be corrected now, because the effects of, for example, drought, the effects of of reductions in, in cattle supply, egg supply, these are things that, that take time for them to manifest in the real world. And especially when we're talking about longer-term storage foods, uh, we'll say medium storage foods like canned foods, for example, though those oftentimes we don't even know that there's a shortage until until way down the line, months or even years, because of the shelf life that's inherent with them. We might there might be a shortage and we won't know about it. There might be a shortage today and we don't actually feel it until next year. Same thing goes with many of the food staples like grains, rice, for example. There's a reason why. The Chinese Communist Party for a decade now have been stockpiling, hoarding all grains, rice, wheat, corn. They've been getting as much of it as they can, and they've been expanding their food production outside of, of China itself. Did you know that, that the Chinese Communist Party owns more pig farms and pork farms down in, I think, South Carolina than, than even American farmers do? That's, in, that's insane to me. Number one, it's insane that it was allowed to happen. Number two, it's insane that nobody's talking about it. Nobody's talking about it, okay? And that's that's a concern. But we're going to talk about it. If you are going to, to get your news, you should get it from places like the J.D. Rucker Show, alternative, alternative news sites such as discern.tv, which is where this next story comes from. This is, uh, ironically, also from Cassie B. I did not intend that, but it just so happened that Cassie B. wrote this article over at discern.tv. TV, uh, WHO head declares war on meat in the name of fighting climate change. <clears throat> As I said many times, climate change is the it's the skeleton key. It's the Swiss Army knife, if you will, that the globalist elite cabal will use against us. They will wield it in to to hurt us in any direction they want us to go. They will be able to use it to attack anything. It's not just about cars, you know, gasoline. It's not just about about flying and uh, using fossil fuels to to fly around the country and around the world. It's also about meat, food. In general, they don't like farmers. There's a reason why we're currently seeing farmers rebel, revolt in Germany. We saw it happen in, in the Netherlands. We saw politicians saying that they wanted to do bad things to farmers. We, we They were talking about, in Ireland, calling 200,000 cows. Why? For the sake of climate change. There are people starving, and they're so allegedly concerned about climate change that they're going to, to just randomly kill 200,000 cows. Why? Why would why would that be allowed in a world in which there are people that are starving? Why would it be allowed in a country? Why would any of this be allowed to happen when we have a country that is quickly devolving into a state of being of having a food crisis? Again, you won't hear about this. Don't you're just going to have to take my word for it because I do keep my finger on the pulse of what's happening. And I've been seeing this this risk for food shortages for now 2 years. Two years, I started reporting on the uh, what seemed to be a, an odd and odd and unreported upon 
increase in the number of food processing plants that were randomly going up in smoke, explosions, fires. I did a check in Google through Google News, and I know you should never use Google, but in this case, I needed to have the power of, of the historical that they allowed us me to, to see, and I determined, based on a very exhaustive search, very exhaustive study, really, because it took, it took a long time to do, but I came to the conclusion that between 2021, middle of 2021, all the way through to, the, to uh, uh, early, I believe it was March of 2023, there, was more, there were more um, industrial accidents, so to speak. I think that's what they were calling them. Industrial accidents uh, uh, surrounding food production plants and por portions of food infrastructure. There were more industrial challenges there in that short period of time than there had been in the previous decade combined. This wasn't just a conspiracy theory, folks. They, it really was happening, and it still is happening. It's just more quiet. They know that people are watching, so so they're it's it's they're doing it like that. And then you look at what's happening with with birds, with flu, the bird flu. It is acting in ways that it's not natural. That should concern you. If you're paying attention, then that concerns you. There's no reason for the bird flu to be as vast, as widespread, as ubiquitous as it has been. That's not how bird flu has ever worked historically until the last two years. And of course, the random, the random deaths of cows for some reason just keeps happening. We, every couple of weeks, we hear about this herd of 300, a herd of 800. At one point, there was a herd of 10,000 cattle that just randomly died. And I say randomly. I don't think that it was random. Put on your tinfoil hat. It's okay. You, you, you'll be fine. Just hear me out. According to this article, though, <clears throat> again, you can find this over at discern.tv. As climate change hysteria continues to be used as a tool to control the masses, World Health Organization Director General Tedros uh, Abanam, I don't even want to try to, I call him just, just Tedros. You guys, he's the, the Director General of the World Health Organization, um, and I've tried to pronounce his last name about 45 times, and I think I've failed at least 42 out of 45, so... Tedros, okay? According to Tedros, he has warned the world's current food system is damaging people and the planet. The food system is damaging people. <laughs> you can't make this up. While that might turn out to be true in the sense that chemical-laden processed foods are indeed harmful, harming human health, he's actually talking about traditional farming, which he claims is contributing to climate change along with the usual demonization of meat consumption. In a video address, he said, quote, our food systems are harming the health of people and planet. Food systems contribute to over 30% of greenhouse gas emissions and account for almost one-third of the global burden of disease. Transforming food systems is therefore essential by shifting for this healthier, diversified, and more plant-based diets. Now, I am not a vegan. I'm not a veteran. I've got nothing against vegans and veterans. I don't trust them. I'm not veterans, vegetarians. I trust veterans. I don't trust vegans or vegetarians. Um, but hey, you know, people make choices and, and that's their choice and so be it. They're, they're free to do that. I would never be that person, but I don't want a plant-based diet. I remember my son and I, this is, gosh, a decade ago, we walked into a restaurant. We didn't realize. I, I thought maybe they were just misspelling chicken. No, as it turned out, it was a plant-based chicken. We were eating. We're like, what the heck is this? I mean, we both looked at each other. He was a teen at the time. We're looking at each other. It's like, it's like, is this? Do you do you like this? I'm like, no. Do you like it? He's like, gosh, no. It's like, let's let's get out of here. Let's go get a burger, a real burger. 
And again, like I said, I'm not ripping. If you're a vegetarian or a vegan, hey, you know, welcome to the show. Maybe maybe we can change your mind. Anyway, point is, is that they want us to be all vegans and vegetarians, more of a plant-based diet. They want to get rid of the meat. They want us to eat the bugs. They want us to eat lab-grown meat. They want us to eat meat alternatives. This is why, when I started noticing all this stuff, I did form a company. I formed a company called called a, a Prepper Prepper Beef. It's not the name of it, but that's that's not the name of it originally. But that's what we're that's the iteration today. Prepperbeef.com. You can go there and you can use promo code JDR and you can get long-term uh, storage beef, freeze-dried. It's cooked sous vide. It's just beef. We don't even add salt. Just beef, no preservatives, nothing. Uh, cooked sous vide, and then it's freeze-dried. Put into Mylar bags with oxygen absorbers, and it can stay uh, shelf-stable for like 25 years. And this isn't beef crumbles. This isn't the, the crap that you get from most prepper stores. It's real stuff. Okay, this is ribeye. It's New York strip, tenderloin, sirloin. This is the, the stuff that you'll actually want to be able to be eating if and when this food crisis does get bad. So check that out at prepperbeef.com. But back to this article. After claiming that 8 million people's lives could be saved each year with healthier diets, he went on to announce the WHO's commitment to supporting countries in implementing policies aimed at improving people's diets and stemming climate change. More than 130 countries have uh, already signed a declaration to this effect. The United Nations Nutrition page, entitled For People, Planet, and Prosperity, Nutrition at COP28, refers to the adoption of a new initiative known as the Global Stock Take. Global Stock Take. Remember those words, because these are going to affect you at some point in the future. This is an agreement to move away from depending on fossil fuels and toward climate-resilient food systems. At the recent COP28 summit, the UN Food and Agricultural Organization published food guidance for first world countries aimed at decreasing carbon emissions, and their message to wealthy nations was to eat less meat. God tells us to eat meat. Our stomachs tell us to eat meat. Science is now finally coming around. The real science is finally coming around. All those those rumors, oh, if you eat meat, it's bad. You know, now they're kind of, well, you know what, after after reviewing it. Turns out that what we thought was the culprit, <laughs> it's actually, it's the omega-6s. That's the culprit. It's the sugars and carbohydrates. That's the culprit. It's not, it's not the meat. But hey, don't, you know, if you were right about this, if you were saying all along that, that hey, a good, a good steak is better than, than this plant-based stuff then kudos to you, but a lot of people didn't. A lot of people have fallen for this. And it hasn't been years. It hasn't just been been recently. It's been for decades that the the trusted science about food was proven to be wrong. And we're learning that more and more every day. Praise God for that. Back to uh, uh, Bloomberg's report. Uh, this is them quoting it. Nations that overconsume meat will be advised to limit their intake while developing countries where underconsumption of meat adds to prevalent nutritional challenges will need to improve their livestock farming. So what they're saying is, hey, you guys in America, you eat too much meat, you need to stop. You guys in, in Africa, you need to go ahead and figure out how to eat more meat because otherwise you're going to die. I mean, that's, I mean they're, they're saying it out of both sides of their mouth. They really are. They're trying to bring parity 
They're trying to make it to where we're all eating essentially the same diet, regardless of where you are, regardless of your your financial status, your your lifestyle, regardless of any of that stuff. The only people that will be protected are, again, the, the elites. This is where I go back to. When I talk about the uber-rich, I'm talking about the billionaires. I'm talking about the people, and not all of them, by the way. Let's be clear. There are many billionaires that are going to be totally excluded from uh, from the 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 list they're going they're going to try to to get rid of them. there was actually i think it was uh, probably middle of last year when there were bunches of stories popping up especially crypto billionaires for whatever reason crypto billionaires were were just dying it was like five of them died in like seven days or something i don't know i don't remember exactly what it was but there was a lot of them dying all of a sudden i started thinking huh i wonder if this has if this is like uh kind of kind of getting rid of of the the what they consider to be the bad billionaires so that it's only the the controlled billionaires that they that they actually have still around. It, it didn't pan out, and maybe it was covered up, and maybe I didn't look hard enough. But had that trend continued, I would have definitely been reporting on it. But back to the article. One might expect that those attending the UN Climate Summit and pushing for wealthy nations to stop eating meat would lead by example. However, on the menu at the COP28 Summit was a variety of food offerings such as slabs of succulent meat, juicy beef, Wagyu burgers, African street barbecue, and Philly cheesesteaks, among other meat-based dishes. That's the message that they want sent, folks. They want to say, hey, we need everybody on board with this, and if you're one of the elites and you don't want to eat bugs you don't want to eat lab-grown meat you don't want to eat soy burgers don't worry we're still going to be eating well it's just everybody else that needs to eat whatever we tell them they're allowed to eat that's the message that they sent here folks i mean it's unambiguous they're right if this had been about sending a message you know if you go to to any of the what i call the true believers amongst the climate change cult if you go to any of their meetings they are eating basically bark okay I mean, they're they're literally wearing Birkenstocks. They're literally many of them are are at least partially homeless. A lot of them are are affluent, but pretending to be homeless. <laughs> I mean, you go to these places and it's like, wow, this is insane. And these are the true believers, and they are they're literally eating bark. They would never have succulent beef or wagyu burgers at their conference. But this globalist elite cabal conference of COP28. They wanted the message sent, and they sent that message loud and clear. They said, we're going to eat the meat. It's only only some of us can handle that. We're going to be flying on the private jets. You guys have to walk around your 15-minute cities. We're going to be driving the gas-powered Ferraris. You guys are going to have to be on the electric bicycles. Okay, For us to be able to continue to do what we do, you guys need to do what you're told. And we say what's going to happen. This is their message. They're coming out, of the, the, they're coming out and saying it, essentially. And that's that that's, demonstrates to me an acceleration in their plans, something that should concern us, which, again, that's <laughs> why I say, look, I'm not saying, I'm just saying, <laughs> PrepperBeef.com, promo code JDR for 15% off. Start stockpiling now. <sighs> get on a get on a subscription of ribeye or something, which you can do at PrepperBeef.com. But I digress. Let's finish this up. Um, actually, we don't even have time. Yeah, let's go to let's go to break with station identification. Um, it's funny doing radio and, and doing podcasting at the same time, doing videos at the same time. I have to remember because different things play. Uh, the the main story is the same, but different things play 
in the breaks. And I got to remember what all is playing on this break and all these. You know what? We're going to break. Wherever you are, you're going to probably hear something different from if you were listening somewhere else. So stay tuned. I know I'm probably going to get myself in trouble, but I end up doing that a lot anyway, so so why not? I mean, it's it's Thursday. Let's just get, get into some trouble, right? So as I noted in my opening, uh, I'm not going to be talking about the distraction of the Epstein drop. There's more drops in the future that are worth talking about. So be it. But for now, like I said, this is just to get, you know, conservatives, we are, we are on top of things, but we're also extraordinarily manipulatable. We, if they want to point us in one direction, they can, they can sure chap our khakis and make us look. And we do. And we keep looking. It's unfortunate, uh, but, but that's, that's how we react. Don't forget, the one power that leftists have over conservatives is that leftists don't react based around the moment. They, I mean, they, they, they seem like they do, okay? They act like they do. Like, oh, this is in response to George Floyd. This is in response to Palestine getting bombed. This, but all these things are pre-planned. All of their various shenanigans, they've been planning on this stuff for a long, long time. They just pretend like this is all new. They just pretend like, oh, you know, this is spontaneous. They don't act spontaneously, and they don't react based upon something that happens in the day, the week, or the month, or even the year. They have a tendency that their plans last for years if not decades okay we're busy putting out fires now today and then perhaps that's part of individualism which is a conservative tenant perhaps it's part of of just common sense hey we got a problem now let's take care of the problem now okay the border problem is border issue is a problem we look at that and we say this is a huge problem let's fix this now let's close the border down let's start deporting people as many of them as we can let's make them stay on the other side these are solutions that make sense these make sense to the, the average American, left or right or central, or cent, uh, centrist. But they don't react, they being the left, the powers that be. I'm not talking about the left as in general average leftists. I'm talking about, about the people that are calling the shots, the George Soros's of the world, Klaus Schwab's, uh, whoever's handling Joe Biden, Barack Obama. All those people, they're thinking along the term terms of years and decades. And so when they look at this, they're like, okay, we need to, to move people in for the now and the later. In other words, we need to, to advance the, the border crisis, the border surge, the invasion, which is what it is. We need to advance that as much and as long and as bigly as possible. And they're thinking it's not just about, okay, so this will help to, to sow chaos. This will help to destroy the economy, which is one of their goals is to destroy the U.S. economy. This will help all this. They're also thinking along the lines of if and when there's ever a time in the future where Republicans finally decide, hey, let's address voter fraud and actually fix this 
and go back to manual ballots and, and you know, or, or have a an auditable system that will will verify, you know, let, if there's one thing, one thing, and and, and somebody's going to call me out for this in the future and you call me a hypocrite, if there's one thing that I would say I would allow artificial intelligence to handle, it would be, wait for it, ballot and signature verification. Now, with that said, I'm a firm believer that all of the ballots should be kept and maintained. They should be matched up. They should be kept. They should be maintained indefinitely. You should be able to track. And people say, oh, my gosh, privacy, privacy. Folks, look, um, as long as there's no direct privacy infringement, the ability to audit an election thoroughly, we've learned over the last four years that our inability to audit elections, and more importantly, their ability to hide and distort audits of elections has been our downfall. You know, there's times when you just have to say, okay, we've got to fix this. Otherwise, we're not going to have a nation. This is it. Republicans will never win another major election. I'm not saying that they can't win a presidential election here or there, you know, and but if they do, it will be because the quote unquote Republican that they got in there is somebody that's still going to do the bidding of the globalist leak and ball. Okay, this is look, if if somehow, some way they're able to take out Donald Trump and prevent him through lawfare or other means from being the nominee. And if Nikki Haley becomes the nominee, I would actually put her as the favorite. And I don't care if she's running against Michelle Obama or Gavin Newsom or or whoever, okay? I think that they have in her a quote-unquote Republican that they actually control, they being the globalist elite cabal, the deep state, the uniparty swamp, the powers and principalities, the new world order, whoever, whatever you want to call them or their various minions, Nikki Haley's one of them. So if she is somehow able to get the nomination, I think that she's going to win win the presidency, and I think that she'll be far worse than George W. Bush, far worse than George H. W. Bush. I think that she'll be she'll be worse than Clinton. She'll be worse than than a lot of them because she'll have she'll be the unifier. She'll be able to to push the globalist agenda, but get corporate mainstream Fox News watching Republicans to say, okay, yes, I guess I guess today we're we're all for amnesty. I guess today we're, you know, we're going to solve this problem by by uh, by funding the United Nations more. We're going, to, you know, we got to send more money to Ukraine. You know, we got to we got to beat those Ruskies. Nikki, Nikki, uh, she terrifies me. Not as nice. She terrifies the wrong word. Um, she is the embodiment of everything that's wrong within the Republican Party. She is Mitch McConnell. She is. She is uh, Kevin McCarthy. She's Lindsey Graham in high heels. Vivek Ramaswamy had said a couple of debates ago that she was Dick Cheney in high heels. She's worse. She's Lindsey Graham in high heels. People say, oh, but Dick Cheney was so evil. Folks, you don't know what evil is unless you unless Lindsey Graham were actually given power beyond being just a, a uh, senior senator. If he were vice president and he, he were basically the shadow president, oh, my gosh, it would be over. Lindsey Graham is, believe it or not, as I know people will debate this, uh, but I, well, I won't say take my word for it. Think what you will. I would say the Lindsey Graham is more of a military-industrial complex hawk than even Dick Cheney. Moreover, I think that Lindsey Graham is owned by the Chinese Communist Party on top of that. So he's double-dipped in his corruption. He, if he were ever given any real power beyond what he already has, oh my gosh. I mean, the 
the the powers that that corrupt him, the powers that own him, they'd be fighting amongst themselves on who who gets Lindsay today. <laughs> you know, I guess we're gonna have to work together between the global, you know, Klaus Schwab's calling Xi Jinping. You know, I've, I thought it was my day to take Lindsay. <sighs> Lindsey Graham, yeah, and and then that's where Nikki Haley is. I would say that Nikki Haley is Lindsey Graham in three inch heels. And I'm not talking about Thursdays when Lindsey Graham already probably wears three inch heels. I'm talking about like every day she'd be wearing three inch, three inch heels. She'd be Lindsey Graham and she'd be horrible for America. If you couldn't tell, I'm not a fan of, of, of Nikki Haley, or as we call her over at the Liberty Daily, Neocon Nikki. It's better than Krispy, Krispy Kreme, Chris Christie, I guess. Neocon Nikki. She is, uh, she's the worst. Anyway. My gosh, I just went on a tangent. We've been talking finance all day so much um, that trying to pull out of, you know, in these, I'm, I'm doing, so so for logistical reasons, we're doing the segments for radio, and but the segments leave an opening because I like to do a, a pure two-hour show. And they, apparently in radio, they do like like 14 minutes worth of ads per, per hour. I feel yucky doing three minutes worth of ads per hour. But hey, you know, it is, you got to pay the bills. So I understand. I'm not going to complain, but that means that that uh, while they're waiting over on, at radio uh, through 14 minutes of ads, I got to do do some talking here. Um, I did mention before, by the way, that the, about the regarding the voter fraud, I put it over at thelibertydaily.com as well as discernreport.com. Um, after the show, I'm going to go ahead and put it over everywhere. So it'll be over at americafirstreport.com, discern.tv. Um, uh, basedunderground.com. I'm not going to put it on jdrucker.com just because I I didn't write this, and I prefer to only put things that I write over there. Uh, but, yeah, uh, I'm going to try to get this out everywhere, and I'm not going to put it on Substack because, again, this isn't my writing. But uh, we do want this to get out there as much as possible because this was overshadowed big time. This was overshadowed by the whole Jeffrey Epstein thing. One came out, I think there was about a one- or two-hour gap in between, and that's unfortunate. And I understand why Trump's doing it. Okay, The whole idea here is that he's trying to establish – it's not that, like, like he's trying to, to, in his case, you know, regarding voter fraud, he's trying to demonstrate, hey, guys, I had a valid reason as the president of the United States who, with a sworn duty to defend the Constitution, I saw this, and based upon this, the defense of the Constitution required for me to call on, for example, Brad Raffensperger to, to look for what he's already seen here. Look, just look for this. And you'll find it, and then you don't have to certify the election. You know, look for this in Wisconsin. Look for this in in Michigan. Look for this in Pennsylvania. Look for this in Arizona. I mean, he had every right. And not only right, he had the responsibility as president of the United States to make sure that the election wasn't stolen. So don't give me this whole thing, oh, he's an election denier. No, you guys are election fraud deniers if you don't believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that the 2020 election and likely many of the 2022 elections were actually stolen. That's just me. Let's take a break. When we get back, I will get more into finance and food and all that crazy stuff. So stay tuned. The wellness company is doing a fantastic job of getting the word out and of, of trying to protect people, help them to, to have alternatives to the corporate mainstream, big pharma, big hospital style of, of healthcare in the United States of America. I am very very proud and pleased to be working with them. And I've been working with them for a while. It's funny because I I haven't mentioned them 
in a long time, not because I don't like them, but because, hey, you know, we've been trying to build gold company, trying to build the, the beef company and, and this stuff. But I do owe it to Wellness because they do a fantastic job. I've interviewed Dr. Peter McCullough multiple times. When when uh, Dr. Zev Zelenko was alive, I interviewed him. God rest his soul. Brilliant man, beautiful man, and great company. So check out the Wellness Group. Go to jdrucker.com slash well. That's jdrucker dot com slash well and uh, and yes sign up probably the biggest reason that i was against gold companies and uh precious metals companies in general before 2021 it wasn't because i necessarily didn't believe it i didn't like the companies okay i i, I understood that there was a reason to put part of your your portfolio your wealth your retirement uh, into physical precious metals but I was against, I didn't like the, the notions. And there was an article that came out uh, earlier this week that uh, exemplifies exactly why I hated it. I'm going to read part of it. Knowing that what I'm about to tell you, I disagree with. But this is, the, this is the, the sort of thing that we're hearing out there today. And I can assure you that my, my friends at Genesis Gold Group, which you can always check out by going to goldwithgenesis.com, my friends at Genesis Gold Group would never promote this concept. This came from Kitco. Um, Kitco News, <clears throat> titled Gold to $3,000 in 2024. Woohoo! You know, I hate, I, I, listen, I hate, and I'm using the word hate. I hate predictions of any prices that are, that are pulled out of nowhere, okay? I've never viewed gold or silver or any of this stuff as a way of, it's not an investment, folks. It really is not. It's a protection. It's a, it's a, it's a safe haven. It's higher financial ground. That, that people can use to preserve their, their wealth, preserve their money. Okay, Gold, silver is money. It's real money. It's sound money. And it's even many states are pushing to make it literally physically money that, that we can use as legal tender. And that's, a, that's a wonderful development. More and more states are allowing this. More and more states are, are taking away the, the uh, sales tax on physical precious metals as well. And that's a, another wonderful development. You should check your state, see if it was taken away. There's currently, I believe, seven that are still fighting it. As we, we, we're in 2024, there's, there's only seven left that are pushing, uh, that are still charging these taxes. Um, and of those seven, I believe five of them are, are in the process. There's legislation on the table to eliminate that as well. At some point, I would love for all 50 states to be able to, you can, you can purchase Gold and silver tax-free, and then you can utilize that, hopefully, Lord willing, as as actual money, which is why, again, physical. I'm not into the those other, you know, virtual, <laughs> virtual, digital, fake, you know, oh, you know, you gotta <laughs> if you're if you've got investments in like gold mines or whatever, I'm not not saying you make it a bad decision. I'm just saying that's not my that's not my cup of tea. Anyway. So this article, gold to $3,000 in 2024. Mike McGlone sees a global recession propelling gold to unprecedented highs. Okay. And again, I'm not saying this is necessarily false. I just, you know, unless you have a valid reason, and by valid, I'm saying you see a trend that is that is legitimate, not just some some uh, crazy idea or crazy concept or or whatever, then you can start talking at least a little bit about predictions. Otherwise, I think that they're they're hit or miss at best. But with that said, this is the type of thing that I want to put out there. Again, not not to promote gold. I want you to know what you're missing, uh, not what you're missing, what you should avoid, okay? Avoid 
predictions like these. <laughs> but according to the article, as macroeconomic conditions continue to deteriorate, the gold price is poised to hit new highs in 2024. And I do agree with that. And even has the potential to hit $3,000, which I don't agree with. But again, I'm not an economist. According to Bloomberg, intelligence senior commodity strategist Mike McGlone, he said, gold outperforming most commodities and the S&P 500 in a year-over-year -year basis uh, to November 29 may show inklings toward our base case. A great reset worthy of the biggest liquidity pump then dump in history. Global commodities, according to McGlone's uh, Global Commodities 2024 Outlook. The lessons for of four decades high or four decade highs in inflation could be enduring and curtail Federal Reserve easing. Gold is on track to shift two thousand dollars an ounce resistance into support. Copper may head toward three dollars a pound and WTI crude oil approach forty dollars a barrel. If Bloomberg Economics US recession outlook plays out. And again, you know, Bloomberg does a fine job. Okay. A lot of the, these guys do. I would say I can <laughs> I'll admit I get most of my financial news from Zero Hedge. Uh, they seem to, to nail it better, but hey, that's just me. Um, but yeah, Bloomberg does fine, Forbes does fine. A lot of these, uh, the the Epoch Times, there's some really good financial analysts over there. I know they're not known as as a financial news outlet, but they really do a fantastic job of of doing that, of uh, of predicting very well. Anyway, back to the article. McGlone noted that the appearance of gold at the top of BI's <clears throat> annual macro performance scorecard while the Bloomberg Commodity Spot Index is on the bottom, indicates that the markets are on a path toward global recession. The potential, and this is a quote from, uh, from McGlone, the potential for trend reversal or acceleration is a key question for 2024, and our bias is the latter. What appears unsustainable are falling Treasury bonds and rising stock market prices, especially with 2024 U.S. Re uh, recession outlooks from Bloomberg Economics and the Conference Board's Index of leading indicators. He warned that the impact of the coordinated rate hikes by central banks in 2023 may not be fully felt until uh, the third quarter of 2024 and said the U.S. stock market likely needs to remain resilient or deflation may be a primary theme a year from now. And the article, this it's a very long article. I'm going to skip ahead to the point. Um, there was one other point that they were making that I thought was extremely uh, important. Where did they go? There it is. The widening excess of U.S. and Canadian uh, liquid fuel production versus consumption and declining demand for gasoline, natural gas, diesel, and container board may overwhelm OPEC's uh, attempts to shore up crude prices. Our graphic shows uh, rising gold to crude since 2008 and the tendency for the ratio to spike in recession. Now, there's the key. One of the indicators, the very few, and this is what, what really attracted me to this article after I read it, one of the the one of the uh, indicators that isn't used nearly enough outside of direct financial circles is the gold to crude um, indicator. It is these are two two um, independent indicators that when you see them relative to each other, you can really start seeing some massive trends. And we've seen we, there was a, a huge expectation for crude to to go through the roof. And it, it did uh, spike a bit, but not nearly to the extent that a lot of people were expecting. And this comes down to the shift in the way that our our world is heading. The aforementioned climate change, uh, I, can, I call it a hoax. I'm not saying that the climate isn't changing. I, I do believe we have weather changes and weather patterns. Uh, I just don't think that there's uh, nearly as much man-made climate change as they like us to believe. But hey, that's just me once again. But when we compare 
you know, what they're doing with with uh, the the green movement, with this push to make climate change the ultimate uh, the, the ultimate uh, determination factor in all decisions. And so when we realize, of course, they're not going to allow uh, crude to be the the uh, the primary financial driver as it has been for decades. They're going to have to go into something. And when you see the central banks out there buying as much gold as they can, they've been doing this for over two years now, buying as much gold as they can get their hands on. The only one that's not, oddly enough, is Turkey. Turkey's central bank has actually been selling, but they're in the midst of a huge financial crisis. They have no other choice but to sell. Everybody else is buying, 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 buying. They have they and if it wasn't for Turkey, 2023 would have been just as much of a record year as 2022 and 2024, barring something crazy happening, is going to be an even bigger year. That should tell you something, especially when we consider the idea that they are promoting the the acceptance of central bank digital currencies. And eventually, I believe that they're going to push for a single central bank digital currency. The reason I'm telling you all this is because if they believe that physical precious metals are the way to go, we, as, as uh, people that are paying attention, those of us who, who can move 401ks or cash out of the bank or you know uh, IRAs, government accounts, if you can, you should consider moving portions of it over to physical precious metals, especially your retirement account. You know, if you're looking at, at cash in your safe and you want to, to move some of that, so be it. That's awesome. That's a great idea, too. I think it's a good idea to have, have more than just cash on hand because we don't know how long that cash is going to be worth anything. I mean, we really don't. The, the dollar could drop at any time. Gold and silver are the only, only um, forms of money out there that throughout the entirety of human history have, have never hit zero. They've always retained some degree of value. And what we've seen over the past, past uh, we'll say, past decade and a half, We've seen those values uh, traditionally rise. There have been some valleys, of course, but if we compare even to just before the 2016 election, we're looking at nearly double from just that election alone. The price of gold has nearly doubled since then. That should tell you something. Now, here's the big risk and the reason that I pulled out this article in the first place, the reason that I want to, to highlight these wild predictions of $3,000 an ounce. I'm not saying it won't happen. I'm just saying it's irresponsible to try to, to get people to do that. And unfortunately, the vast majority of precious metals companies out there will latch on to, to stories like this, and they'll blast it out there, and they'll try to get people to work with them. There's a reason why, and I want you to, to pay, especially if you if you have ever considered uh, moving a, a retirement account over to a uh, self-directed IRA or a gold IRA, as they call it, a self-directed IRA backed by physical precious metals, there's a reason why most companies out there are promoting the idea of getting five thousand or ten thousand or fifteen thousand dollars in free free silver. The reason they can do this is because they have enough room to do it. Of course, it's not free, okay? It's not. They're hoping that we're stupid. Unfortunately, many are—I wouldn't say stupid, but many of many people fall for it. You have this this idea, this hopium that oh well, you know they're they're only getting like a two hundred ninety nine dollar fee, but surely somehow they're still making money and they're still in business and driving Lamborghinis, even though they're giving away ten thousand dollars in free silver allegedly. It's not free, okay? It's all worked into the price. As is the commission. It's paid to the the people that are generating the leads, the the bloggers or the show hosts or whatever. As is the commission to the sales team, as is the company itself. Now, when you add all this up, if you have $100,000, let's say you have a retirement account that's worth $100,000 in it today, 
and you you say, hey, you know what? We should move over to a self-directed IRA backed by physical precious metals. Good move. Smart move. But, this is the big but, not all these companies are created equal. The reason that I work with Genesis Gold Group is because they are a Christian company. Because when you go to goldwithgenesis.com, you're going to be talking to somebody who is an expert, who will educate you, who will not try to, to, to tell you that gold's going to be $3,000. They're not going to try to, to get you to sign up to get the quote-unquote free $10,000 in free silver. They're just going to try to, to work with you based on your goals to determine what's the best mix of metals for you, for your, your goals, your desires. How long are you going to be holding it? What are you planning on doing with it? Are you going to have it physically sent to you? And you can do that very easily. Have distribution sent directly to you. There's forced distributions that, that, that start to kick in at a certain age. When those happen, you can cash in or you can have the, the silver and gold coins sent to you. I recommend doing that. But point being, not that you have to. You can always just cash out. Point being is this, is that with so many out there that are packing tremendous margins into their prices, it 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 pains me when I hear about these things. And we actually had, uh, I'm not going to go into names, obviously. I'm not even going to mention mention the, the company that did this to them. But once they finally looked at the, the actual numbers, they realized that they were paying like $80 an ounce for these silver coins. I get it. Numismatic coins do have an inherent value in them. There is, they're, they're, they're not spot price coins, right? But with that said, it shouldn't be 80 bucks. I mean, these aren't like, like super rare coins. These are like freshly minted coins. And chances are, if they're, unless they're just super high quality, they're just going to, to get melted down and, and re, re-minted as something else anyway. So why should they be paying $80 when they should be paying half that? The answer, of course, is that they shouldn't. But, hey, you got to be able to cover all the commissions and the $10,000 in, in quote-unquote free silver that you're offering to these people. Obviously, I'm not a fan of that. And this is why I pushed back against getting into the whole gold and silver industry for a long time. But I realized, that considering the trajectory of the nation, following the, the insertion of, of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and looking at their their economic policies, the plans they started to initiate on day one, I realized, oh, crap, I need to look into gold and silver. And I need to, I'm not going to work with any of these, these scoundrels out there, so I need to find somebody that's going to, to actually treat people honestly. And that's why I started working with Genesis Gold Group. You can reach out to them. Go to goldwithgenesis.com, goldwithgenesis.com, or give them a call at 800-200-GOLD. That's 800 200 Four six five three. Tell them Rucker sent you. I don't get paid a commission. To be clear, I don't get paid a commission. I won't get paid a commission. So, so uh, you can tell them Rucker sent you. You don't have to. <laughs> I don't care. Uh, tell them that you you heard it. You heard it from. Um, uh, tell them you heard it from Joe Messina. There you go. We'll, we'll give Joe a shout out. Tell them you heard it from Joe Messina, and we'll uh, we'll we'll uh, <laughs> really surprise the. They'll be like, wow, Joe Messina's talking about us? Well, no, it's actually Rocker, but he said to say Messina sent you. Uh, anyway, Je- uh, goldwithgenesis.com. Let's go to break, and uh, when we get back, let's talk more about food or meds. Food or meds, one or the other. Stay tuned.
there's a reason that I picked Genesis Gold Group as my gold company. It's because they are honest. They are a Christian company. Out of the 31 different gold companies that I investigated, they were one of the very few that actually don't try to rip people off with scams like 5000 or 10000 or $15,000 in free silver. It, it bugs me to death when companies do this because it's like they're promising, oh, you know, you'll only pay a $299 fee and, and yet we're going to give you $10,000 in free silver because we like you so much. Uh, <laughs> don't, don't fall for that one. Contact Genesis Gold Group today. Go to jdrgold.com. That's jdrgold.com. Or you can call them at 800-200-GOLD. That's 800-200-4653 and see what they can do to help you get into a self-directed IRA backed by physical precious metals. Yeah, there was an article that I was reading. It's been years, a uh, long time ago, but I remember it struck me because it started getting me thinking about trying to define what the American dream is. And this article, it was, I don't even remember what publication it was in. It was very long. It was multi-page. And it was an actual physical magazine that tells you how old it was. But they, they were talking to economists and philosophers, historians, politicians, even some celebrities. And they were asking basically the question of what is, what defines the American dream? And the only item that was fairly universal across the board, there was, uh, I think happiness was, was part of it. You have to be happy to be living the American dream. <laughs> no depressed people here. Uh, but <laughs> the one, the one uh, tangible item that was universal was home ownership. And this goes back to a biblical under, understanding of property. You know, in, in the Bible, they talked about property ownership as an important component of life. Um, and, you know, we can discuss how, how that changed from Old Testament to New Testament, because it did, but but point being is that there was still a biblical understanding as well as a constitutional understanding and a, a, uh, a an understanding from the perspective of free people that being able to own your own home can should be considered a part of the American dream, but that's changing apparently. And it's not just changing in, in the very recent years or in very recent months because of prices, you know, interest rates going up and yet prices going up doesn't make any sense. It used to be that it would be one or the other. They'd, they'd ebb and flow. Prices would go up, but rates would go down and rates would go up, but then prices would go down. Now we just got everything going up, right? Uh, and it's weird. Uh, and that's, there's a whole series of conspiracy theories about why that's happening the way it's happening, but I'm not going to get into those today. I do want to turn real quick to this article uh, published near the beginning of this year. Uh, so I, January 2nd is when Bob Unruh posted this article over at WND, uh, American Dream Gone, Gen Z Dumps Owning Homes for Luxury Rentals. And that's the, the, the it's funny because generally speaking, I would have passed on this article except for the idea that, wait a second, so they're going for luxury rentals? Number one, how are Gen Z people affording luxury rentals? <laughs> okay. <laughs> that it's like, whoa, whoa. but then I read into it and I understood exactly what they were saying. It's the idea that even those who would traditionally become homeowners in the past, those who, who were young, affluent, starting a family, um, they, they aren't doing that anymore, apparently. And that's, that's a big concern. So according to the article, the phrase, you'll own nothing and you'll be happy has been getting a lot of attention recently. The actual quote originated in a 2016 video by the World Economic Forum that summarized the concepts of a, polit of a politician of that time. But the idea actually has been around for generations through the ideologies of communism and Marxism, as well as the contemporary socialism that's growing by leaps and bounds. I call it neo-Marxism, by the way, as a lot, do a lot of people. After all, what, what ideas 
are the incredibly popular Lyft and Uber based on other than renting a transportation service that you don't own and you don't want to own. Somewhat true, right? I mean, we do live in a society where uh, I, I have a relative, an adult relative, who has never had a car. I'm not talking, I mean, they've never, literally never in their adult lives have they owned a vehicle. They rely on public transportation. They rely on on these services that are basically enabling people to no longer necessarily have to drive. It's crazy to me. I mean, I remember when I was a kid, it was, I had just turned of age and I was already, right, we first, you know, wake up in the morning, what time do they open? Go to the DMV, let's get going. Let's see, let's get this, you know, uh, that was my freedom. Of course, we didn't have the internet back then, but hey, <laughs> I'm old. But back to the article. Now a report from Fox Business reveals that many members of America's Generation Z are moving quickly in that direction, balking at home ownership that was a primary goal for the great their great-grandparents, grandparents, and probably even their parents. Not probably, that was a goal. Okay? People in my generation, we want to own homes. We've always wanted to own homes. I, I don't know anybody that, that didn't at least want to own a home. Maybe financial situations made it to where they couldn't, but hey, they wanted to. Everybody wanted to. Now apparently they don't. Back to the article. Instead, Gen Z wants to rent... Luxury Apartments, ooh. On its uh, big money show, Fox Business hosts uh, Jackie DeAngelis and Brian Brenberg discuss the changing priorities in which Gen Z members are refusing to pursue mortgage in favor of an apartment filled with amenities. Of course, there are factors created under Joe Biden's economy uh, of high interest rates, surging home prices, re resumption of student loan payments, and high few, few high salary opportunities that all contribute. But it all is not lost, as the report noted, documentation from the Wall Street Journal that in Scanton, Scranton, Pennsylvania, homes are listed at a median price of $179,900, meaning a $150,000 30-year mortgage with a 7% rate would cost about $1,000. That's generally affordable. Still, the report said there are few takers. Why is that? I might want to move to Scranton. I wouldn't move to Scranton. But... <laughs> thousand buck mortgage yeah, let's do it there's a quote from um uh who's this from oh this is a quote from the report scranton project property manager michael basalego uh, said around a thousand people would like to rent 32 luxury apartments built inside scranton's lacy factories converted living spaces which run between 950 and 3600 dollars a month Two-thirds of the units already were pre-leased by December. The Angelus explained in the program, if you actually did the math there and you say it's about the down payment in eight months, if you net uh, out what your mortgage payment would be, you basically flushed your down payment uh, money down the toilet. What is going on? The possible answer that... Uh, the I want it now mentality in tandem with the pursuit of nice living space free of upkeep. And I can sort of understand at least that latter part, the advantage to, and this is the concept that the World Economic Forum has been pushing on to people, the advantage is if you were to buy a refrigerator and that refrigerator were to break, you're on the hook to take it down, uh, have either a refrigerator repairman come to your home and fix it, or take it yourself to a place where it can be fixed, or buy a new one and have to, to pay the cost to get rid of the old one. But if you are leasing it, then 
It's all covered. Somebody has to come and fix it for you. That idea of renting, uh, the, the idea of leasing and to not have to be responsible for the upkeep, for the maintenance, uh, for replacement costs, that can be very appealing. Especially when we look, I bought a, uh, I bought a refrigerator. It's been a long time since I've had to buy a refrigerator. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm cheap, man. When, when it comes to, to anything like that, it's like, okay, well, let's just get it fixed. Okay. Well, let's just buy the ice machines out. Well, why would we buy a refrigerator? Let's just buy a separate ice machine. I mean, that's the kind of guy I am, but then it's like, okay, fine. Let's go get a stupid refrigerator, uh, get rid of the old one. And it's, I looked at the price. I'm like, what? I'm I just, you know, I, I became my father <laughs> in an instance. Like, I, I paying $2,500 for, for a refrigerator. It just keeps things cold. What the hell would I pay $2,500 for? And, and no, my father doesn't actually ever speak like that. Uh, God rest his soul. But, but yeah, um, that's my, that's my, my fake father accent. You get the idea though. I, it's, I can understand it. I can understand that that relinquishing of responsibility. I'm not saying that I agree with it, but if that's the case, if that's the scenario that drives all this, then that puts us in a very bad situation as a nation. Because that means that you're going to have this push. It's not going to be you'll own nothing and you'll be happy and you've got a vast majority of Americans saying, no, no, we want to own stuff. What could end up happening, and what I set, think, I believe this is actually going to ha be how it is, once this generation does get older and they start calling the shots, even millennials to some extent, once they start making the decisions, they're going to be far more open to this concept than, say, Generation X or boomers. We want to own stuff. We want freedom. We don't want people in our business. We won't, don't want government in our business. They seem to be okay with it, they being Generation Z, and even the younger generation. Whatever that's going to be called. I don't even know. Maybe it's already got a name. I don't know. Point is, is that, is that the, the notion that, hey, don't worry. We don't have to worry about the machinations of the World Economic Forum because nobody's going to fall for it. That's wrong. If you believe that, you're wrong. These people, these, these younger, this younger generation, many of them are falling for it. They're not, they're not like being dragged in reluctantly. They're ru rushing headfirst into it. They are bought into this concept. They don't want to own anything, and they will be happy. At least they'll think they're happy for a while. They don't see the consequences. They don't see the risks that are associated with having nothing tangible to your name. They think, oh, well, they'll just raise minimum wage, or, or we'll get a universal basic income, or, or whatever. They don't understand that to build something, you have to own it. To grow something, you have to be willing to maintain it yourself. I'm a big fan of, for example, gardening. I don't do it myself, but I'm a big fan of my wife gardening. But she owns the garden. If she was renting the garden, she wouldn't put in nearly as much effort, even though the food itself would be just as scrumptious, I'm sure. The idea is that by owning the garden... That's something that, that is ours. And that lack of a sense of ownership, whether it's a home or a car because they're out using Uber or a refrigerator because they're leasing it. When you don't own something, you take it for granted because you know that the replacement value is not going to be high. 
it's somebody else's problem. That mentality is, I would say, top 10 as far as real threats here in the United States. That mentality is the, in the long term, that mentality is a destructive one. And I don't know if there's any way to reverse it other than to to start getting getting better education, maybe promoting the concept of the American dream the way that it was traditionally always supposed to be rather than what they're trying to, to push it on today, which is not the American dream, it's the World Economic Forum's dream. It's the globalists' dream. They, from their perspective, they will be able to control us more by us owning nothing, by them owning everything, by us leasing or borrowing or renting or not having the things that normally people would consider part of ownership, the things that people used to consider part of American life. Let's finish off with this article. The report said GID, a company that owns or manages 50,000 apartments across the nation, reports nearly 25% of its customers make over $200,000 a year. Now, even if we allow for inflation, let's say that that, that was, we'll say, uh, you know, 20 years ago, that, that's a an average 100,000, I don't know the math, but let's say that's a $100,000 a year person back in uh, 2004, okay? They're making 100 grand a year. I would be shocked if 25% of them were leasing apartments. Truly shocked. I don't think that that's, I, that's unfathomable. I would say it would probably, if I were guessing, I would say it would probably be closer to 10 to 15% max. Because once you're making on a regular basis $100,000 a year back in 2004, you can buy a house. You can buy a condo. You can buy something. Why would you rent if you didn't have to? Why would you rent if you could afford it? Especially, keeping in mind, this is before the the uh, housing collapse. So, I mean, it was easy. As anybody who's ever seen the big short, you know, I mean, uh, even cash, cash uh, recipients, uh, strippers, uh, waiters, bartenders, they were allowed to get mortgages very easily because they were making enough money to be able to afford them. At least that's what they were told. That's, you know, when we, and don't get me started on the interest rate scams of the time and that are still perpetuated now that, that are under a different name. It's a whole other discussion. Point is, the American dream is changing. And that's a destructive element. That's not something, oh, well, I guess we're just going to get used to it. No, we got to change it. And if we can't change it, then we need to get used to it. And I'm not ready to get used to it. I do want to own something. And I won't be happy if I don't. So maybe they'll try to eliminate me. I'll get depopulated. Finishing up, Bremberg described the shift as a cultural thing. He described the younger set as insisting, I want an experience. I want to travel. But he warned years down the road, people will wonder where their money went. That's the key. It's, it's, it's not the difference today. Okay, If you're a young person, you're like, oh, you know, whether I'm paying a mortgage or rent doesn't matter. Except that when you're paying a mortgage, you're investing into something that you'll be able to use later on down the line. When you're investing in rent, you're helping somebody else make money that they can use later on down the line or tomorrow whenever they want. And you're building on nothing. You're not building a foundation. America is built on the idea of personal, individual foundations that we build through our lifetimes. But that's going to change for Generation Z, and even Millennials, whatever generation follows them then we are going to truly be in Klaus Schwab's world where we will own nothing. Except we won't be happy. He will be. We won't be. Let's go to a break. Just a couple minutes and then uh, finish off for the day. So stay tuned.
I know I have a lot of various websites out there. People tell me all the time it's so hard to find me because I'm I've got all these websites, all these substacks, all these shows, places. The easiest way to find me if you're wanting to listen to the show is to go to jdrucker.com slash shows. That's where I'm listed everywhere. You can find any of the shows. Um, we'll be adding the ones for terrestrial radio there soon, uh, as well as, of course, the Apple Podcasts and Rumbles and Brideons and BitChutes of the world. Uh, check that out. But one of the ways that I don't often tell people about is my Substack, my primary Substack, which is just jdrucker.substack.com. That's my newsletter. I don't spam you. Okay, I'll send out two, three, four, maybe five newsletters in any given week. And these are always going to be, there's not a schedule. It's based upon importance of stories. If I need to say something, then then I'll say it. If I don't have to say something, you won't get an email from me. So jdrucker.substack.com. So I'm going to end today's show off with essentially a repeat. Yeah, this is an article that that I was actually going to lead with today, but I thought, you know, I'm going to save this for the end because this really re recaptures and rehashes most of what I've already said. Number one, get out of the cities. Number two, back up your 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 finances by diversifying into something physical. Number three, own stuff. Don't just rent stuff. Number four, uh, <laughs> get 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 food, lots and lots of food. But let's go back and recap some of it. This is an article by Michael Snyder over at the economiccollapseblog.com. America's empire of money has reached the end game. And it's for those who don't know, Michael Snyder can be extraordinarily dramatic, but the dude is wicked smart. He is uh, he's been calling calling things for a long time, and he has a, a extremely uh, strong talent for finding articles and finding the, the sources to back up his his sentiment. His sentiment obviously is very negative when it comes to the economy. It has been for a long time. I mean, he named his site theeconomiccollapseblog.com. But with that said, is he wrong? No, I don't think he is. As I said in the beginning, I think that we have about a 15% chance of seeing a cataclysmic economic collapse here in the United States of America and even worldwide here within the next couple of years. I put it at 15% because it could be much higher than that. I'm an optimist. I, I want to think, hey, you know. Things are, we're going to turn this around. Things are going to be okay. We're going to be able to stave off the bad guys, stave off the the bad situations. People are going to get smarter. Maybe I'm being too much of an optimist. Maybe I need to be more realistic and think, you know what? We got about a 50-50 chance of, of not seeing a massive crash here in the near future. But, but hey, <sighs> I want to stay positive. According to the article. And he, he did this, at least the initial party did this. Imagine this in Kamala's voice. And no, I'm not going to do a Kamala Harris impersonation. But even right from the start, we did it, Joe. It took a tremendous push down the stretch, but the U.S. national debt was able to hit the $34 trillion mark before the end of 2023. At this moment, I am just so overwhelmed that I don't know who to thank first. Over the past few years, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, Chucky Schumer, Nancy Pelosi, Kevin McCarthy, and so many other hardworking spenders have been instrumental in helping us reach this remarkable achievement. And we never would have gotten here without the relentless help of CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, the New York Times, the Washington Post, and all the other mainstream media news outlets that, and we say you, news um, very lightly, News outlets that kept assuring the American people that it was okay to steal trillions of, of dollars from our children and our grandchildren. Of course, I am being quite facetious. The truth is that we are what we are doing 
to future generations of Americans is beyond criminal. We are literally committing national suicide, but each election cycle, most of the same big spending politicians just keep winning over and over again. And there's a reason for that. But we'll get into that in a future show. Those on the other side would argue that it has been absolutely necessary to borrow and spend so much money. If we had not uh, propose, uh, propped up the U.S. economy with giant mountains of borrowed money, it would have collapsed long ago. At least that's what they say. In addition, spending so much money allows us to project military and economic power all over the planet. If we only spent what we brought in, American standing in the world would be greatly reduced, as if it could be any more reduced than it is today, but I digress. Having the, the primary reserve currency of the world is an enormous source of power, but not that but that now that power is fading. And as I said before, it is. People are de-dollarizing, nations are de-dollarizing. They're looking to the BRICS. Maybe, maybe they're not ready to say, hey, you know, we're we're gonna join China and Russia and India, South Africa, now Saudi Arabia. No, they're not saying that just yet. But they will if we don't turn the ship around very quickly. Nations all over the globe are starting to move away from using the U.S. dollar in international trade, and they are becoming a lot more hesitant to buy our debt. We've covered that many times in the past. You can only borrow and spend so much before the entire Ponzi scheme collapses, and at this moment, we are more than $34 trillion in debt. And this is according, these next three sentences are from the Daily Mail. U.S. national debt has reached a record high, hitting $34 trillion for the first time in history. Data published by the Treasury Department Tuesday showed that outstanding federal borrowing soared to 34 trillion and well, it's, it's 34 trillion one billion, so 34.001 trillion dollars on December 29th, just weeks ahead of the C Congress's deadline for new federal spending plans. The staggering figure, which is a major point of contention between Republicans and Democrats, is equal to 101,233 dollars in federal debt for every person in America according to the Peter C. G. Peterson Foundation, $101,233 per person. That's not per taxpayer. That's not per, per adult. That's per person. Somebody is born tomorrow. That child is born with $101,233 in debt. And actually, since those numbers are from December 29th, it's actually higher than that already. Back to Michael Snyder's article. So, if there are four people living in your household, your share of the national debt is more than $400,000. And every day, the debt gets even larger. A Wolf Richter, as Wolf Richter has pointed out, the size of the national debt has increased by $2.5 trillion in just the last seven months. And this comes from uh, Wolf Richter's site, Wolf Street. Uh, according to Wolf Street, the total U.S. national debt spiked by $1 trillion in 15 weeks since September 15th to $34 trillion, according to the Treasury Department's figures. This afternoon, in the seven months since the debt ceiling was lifted, the national debt spiked by $2.5 trillion. These are huge, gigantic numbers that are piling up as a result of the incredible, hard, incredibly hard to fathom, daredevil, reckless, shake-your-head deficit spending by Congress. You know, when they lifted the debt ceiling until after the election, until 2025, people were thinking, okay, so they're going to raise the debt ceiling, but they came up with this deal of, hey, you know what? Let's just eliminate it. Let's just have no debt ceiling at all. We'll reinstate a debt ceiling later. If we do survive as a nation, 
And if we do go through the hard times that I expect we are going to go through for at least the next decade minimum, when historians look back, they're going to look at the, the removal, temporary removal of the debt ceiling as the catalyst for the downfall of the United States of America. Now, they won't be completely accurate. Those of us who are living today realize that there are many, many, many other factors that contribute to it. But that right there alone, that's like basically saying it's that's that's like taking if you anybody who's ever lifted weights. OK, you got you got uh, um, you've got your Nautilus weights, you got your 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 uh, <laughs> Bowflex is, is the I guess the, the people still use that. And you got you got free weights, right? Basically, what they're saying is, with the lifting of the debt ceiling, they're saying, you know what? We're going to move it all over to Nautilus so that no matter what, it doesn't matter if it's just way too much for you to handle. You can at least try to push it, and maybe you can get some help, and we can all lift it up together. And then, you know, if it comes slamming down, it's not going to hit us because, hey, it's it's there's no bar there. It's, there's there's protections. There's There's uh, restraints. But that's the effect only on the political side. On the economic side, it's reversed. Okay? We're going from free weights economically to where, you know, you got to be responsible. You can, only, you can only put on so much weight, the amount of weight that you, you can actually handle, and somebody better be spotting you. Okay? That's, that's what the debt ceiling does. It says you can only put on there what you can actually handle, and if we're going to lift it, then we need, we need help. By eliminating it, that's when we're going, economically speaking, to the Nautilus weights. I hope that that did just fly over everybody's head. It makes it makes sense to me. So that's, I guess, the less important part, but we're, we're going to roll with it. <laughs> Back to the article. Overall, the U.S. national debt has grown by $6.25 trillion since Joe Biden entered the White House. It took the first 225 years of U.S. history for the national debt to reach the $6 trillion mark. And we have added more than six trillion dollars in debt in the last in less than three years. What is that? I mean, what really? Seriously, what is that? According to Michael Snyder, this is what the end game looks like. We are in a debt spiral that is totally out of control, and there is no way this story is going to end well. And despite the fact that we are endlessly pumping colossal piles of cash into the economy, our economic conditions continue to deteriorate. On Wednesday, we learned that the U.S. job openings have fallen to the lowest levels in more than two years. So U.S. job openings dropped in November to the lowest level in more than two years. The latest evidence that the Federal Reserve's interest rate hike campaign is continuing to cool the labor market. That is a sign that the economy is getting worse. And more large companies continue to lay off workers. For example, Xerox just announced that it will be laying off 15% of its workforce. 15%. Okay, we're talking about tens of thousands of employees. Xerox is a very large company. To drop 15%, that's not good. According to, uh, this comes from, from CNBC, Xerox on Wednesday announced it will cut 15% of its workforce as part of a plan to implement a new organizational structure and operating model. Xerox, which offers digital printing and document management technologies, had about 20,500 employees as of December 21st, 2022, so a little over a year ago, according to a filing in the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. Based on this figure, Wednesday's layoffs will affect about 3,075. So I was off by a bit. I, I would have pictured, uh, and maybe I'm just too old. I would have thought yeah, Xerox would have had, you know, at least 100,000 employees, but I was wrong. 
but now they're they're still three thousand dollars is not not a small or three thousand employees is not a small loss. Shares of Xerox closed down more than twelve percent following the announcement. So. Uh, what can we do to get the economy going again? Well, we can follow the example of the federal government and borrow and spend even more money. And I, he is being facetious, by the way. Of course, much of the nation is already drowning in debt. According to one recent survey, only about half of the country will be, be able to pay off their December credit card balances in full. I remember one of the first lessons I ever learned about credit uh, from my parents was never look at credit as money. Credit is just a convenient way to pay things that you can definitely pay for with cash. In other words, never carry a balance. And then they explained to me why you would want to carry your balance in one card for, for credit purposes to maintain the revolving account and yada, yada, yada. There are strategies involved, but for the most part, if you're going to put $1,000 on your credit card, then at the end of the month, you pay $1,000 to your credit card company. That's the idea. You don't carry your balances. You don't look at that as money that you can spend. Unfortunately, apparently at least half of America is thinking that way. And maybe not intentionally. Maybe that's that's just what they, you know what? It's been a rough couple of years. Let's have a good Christmas. We'll pay the consequences later. We're supposed to get a raise. Things are going to get better. Who knows? Start a second job, a third job, a fourth job. I don't know what the mentality is there. Unfortunately, it's it seems to be pervasive because we're seeing far too many people getting into further and further debt. And that, yes, that is a concern. It's not just a concern for those individuals. We have to understand that the, the financial conditions of the people around us will affect our own financial condition because it can affect how prices, for example, not just property values. I'm talking about prices of the, of the stores. This is why I'm so against any of these things that are drawing money away from, from the American people. This is one, one of the reasons, reason I'm, we'll call it reason number 453, why I'm so adamantly opposed to illegal immigration. I am a legal immigrant. I have no problem. I like legal immigration. But right now we can't afford it because we have far too much illegal immigration. We need to be able to, to cut it all off and get it fixed because we can't afford this. It was, um, I believe it was Denver. Denver, they, they just had a, a meeting where they were discussing having to allocate like 10 to 15%, 15% of their budget just to handle the influx of illegal aliens in their sanctuary city. 15% of the, of the city's entire budget. That's insanity, folks. We can't take care of our own people. We have a homeless problem that's going through the roof. So why are we allowing this? Why are our lawmakers? And I'm not just talking about Joe Biden. I'm not just talking about Democrats. Oh, great. You know, Mike Johnson went out and, and brought his uh, brought a congressional delegation down to the border for a photo op. Okay, where's the legislation? Where's the demands? The government must shut down this month. At least part of it must be shut down if the border isn't shut down. But I digress. Let's we're running out of time. Let's let's finish this article real quick. I want to get to the, the key point. Our forefathers handed us the keys to the greatest economic machine in world history, but that was never enough for us. We always had to have more, and so we just kept borrowing and spending. Now the end game has arrived and is going to be excruciatingly painful. U.S. consumers are drowning in record levels of debt. U.S. corporations are drowning in record levels of debt. State and local governments are drowning in record levels of debt. And the federal government is drowning in, you guessed it, record levels of debt. America's empire of money 
was nice while it lasted, but now the jig is up, and the collapse that is looming is truly going to be one for the history books. Again, I'm more optimistic than Michael Snyder. Lord willing, I think that we can turn this around. Gosh, I pray that we can. But if we can't, we have to be prepared for that, which is why I say, make sure that you have plenty of food. Go to PrepperBeef.com, use promo code JDR, and stock up on long-term storage beef. Make sure that you move part, if not all, of your, your life savings, your wealth, your retirement, over to Physical Precious Metals, an IRA backed by Physical Precious Metals. Go to uh, GoldWithGenesis.com and see what Genesis Gold Group can do for you. These are crazy times. and But even if the country sinks, that doesn't mean you have to sink with them. Lord willing, we will be back very soon with another episode. But in the meantime, you all stay strong, stay safe, and God bless.